So this evening I'm preaching on a passage that God used to convict me in a very real way this week. And it happened in our Tuesday morning prayer meeting. So a lot of things happened in our Tuesday morning prayer meeting. It was a wonderful meeting. We had testimonies, we had different things, and it was a really special time. Um, But during my prayer meeting, I always like to have my Bible open. I just do. And uh, it was open in Ephesians, and I read Ephesians 4. And I think every sentence in that passage just really hit home and really convicted me and changed me. Um, And I'm going to preface this by kind of sharing where I am at the moment. And I think for the longest time, um, I've been feeling a little bit bitter, I think, towards people. And I've been harboring a lot of stuff. Um, I know this because I've not been as patient with people as I normally am. I've been a little bit irritated and frustrated and I think maybe a little bit apathetic about where we are as a church and and where we're going. Um, So the passage in Ephesians 4, the title of it is Unity in the Body of Christ. And that's what I'm going to be preaching on tonight, Unity in the Body of Christ. And it's going to be tough tonight, I think. I think it's going to be a tough message. It'll probably hit a nerve. And the reason being is because I do believe that the enemy is trying to get his foot under in this church. And we don't want that. Because God's not going to bless us otherwise if we allow bitterness to to take root in this place. So my hope is that afterwards, we're going to come together as the body of Christ with so much love for each other it's going to make people sit up and take notice and be so united that the devil's going to lose his mind. Thank you. Hey, oh, preach. I like it. <laughs> so yeah, tonight I'm going to preach on unity of the church. I love Daisy. He's always so encouraging. It's brilliant. Oh. So I think for so many of us, we think unity is about other people. In the church when we think of unity we think about other people in the church or if that person would change then we'd have unity maybe or if they left the church then we'd have unity if we didn't do certain things in church that way then we'd have unity well no nah, because actually unity starts with you as an individual and if you look at the word unity it starts with this is cheesy you and i you and i do you get it? You and I, you and I, it starts with you and I. <laughs> it starts with me as an individual and it starts with you as an individual. So to have proper unity, you and I as an individual need to undergo a spiritual health check. And too often, <laughs> it's going to hit home, too often when we sit listening to sermons, the preacher will say something and we'll go, that's for them behind. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you listened to this. Um, and if you haven't done it, I've done it. I'll admit it. I'm, you know, you're all too probably super spiritual to do that. Um, I've sat there smug as you like thinking, that's for them. That's for them or whatever. But remember to have unity. We need to focus on our relationship with God first. What's God saying to us in our hearts? And 
Paul is passionate. So Ephesians is written by Paul and he's so passionate about the church, so much so that he gives us the book of Ephesians and gives us clear instructions of how to function as the body of Christ, as the church in unity. So the book of Ephesians, as I said, is about the body of Christ. It's about Christ's church, how Christ has saved us as individuals by dying on the cross. He's reconciled us to himself, but he's also reconciled us to each other as well. We've all, every person in this room, if you've accepted Christ, has been equally saved by faith in Jesus Christ. So we are all equal members of the church. The church belongs to Christ. It's his church. It's his idea. And we are the hope of the world. It's through the church that the gospel is shared and Jesus is known. So no pressure. So scholars say that the letter to the Ephesians was probably written around AD 60 when Paul was in prison in Rome. So we're going to read it together. I'm going to read the whole chapter, which is, oh, look at that, 32 verses. Fab. So if you've got a Bible, you can follow along. Um, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, which is the translation that's going to come up on the screen. Um, feel free to follow along in your own translations. I quite like it. If somebody's got a different one, you can kind of compare. But it's whatever one works for you. It's the word of God at the end of the day. So if it convicts you, that's awesome. So Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together, by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality 
so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. May God bless the reading of his word. That's a powerful passage, that is, isn't it? So what I want to do is just go through that passage a little bit by little bit. There'll be things I'll be jumping to. Um, but there's so much in there. It's such a good passage. So Paul starts his letter by saying, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Can we say tonight, as a church, as individuals... We are living a life worthy of the calling we have received. Paul writes, be completely humble and gentle. Be completely humble. Now, we had a prayer go up about Brexit, and I wonder how the world would look if the leaders in our country were completely humble, if everyone was was completely humble. What does it mean to be completely humble? Um, I think it means that you admit that you don't know it all, that I don't know it all. None of us know it all. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Being humble means you don't have to be right all the time. And if you're wrong, you admit it. If you're completely humble, if someone admits they're wrong in the church, You don't lord it over their head or you don't walk off smugly and say, yep, I knew I was right. Humility works both ways. Because the thing is, the church isn't here to cater for you. The church is here to glorify God. It's the vessel with which God uses to reach the lost and the broken. So... If you even get a sliver of delight when someone confesses they've got it wrong in the church or something hasn't gone well in a ministry, if you feel that, oh, I'm so glad about that because I, you know, I didn't, I'm not really a fan of that person, 
then you need to go and repent and ask the Lord to search your heart because actually as a church, we are one. We are a unit, it's unity. Paul goes on to say, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, there will be people in church who test and try your patience on a weekly basis. Um, there'll be some people that when you, hear your, when you hear their voices, you think, oh, I'm going to go to the toilet and I'm going to hide in there for 10 minutes while you clear off. <laughs> We've all been there, I'm sure. Still, God calls you to love them. There will be new believers who are going to come into this church who need help, who need your help, who are going to get it wrong, who are struggling, who are being needy. And they need help. So you have to be patient and bear with each other in love. Now, if you can't do this now, when the majority of people in the church are mature Christians, then how are we going to be able to help new Christians who come in? So I think the key word that underpins this whole passage, though, and in fact, the whole Bible, is love. And if you don't feel it, if you don't feel love for somebody, just do it anyway, because love is an action. Pray for strength as well. Pray that God will open your eyes to view the person how he views them. Verse 3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And notice the repetition of the word one. Because in scripture, whenever there's a repetition, it's to make a point. So it's done in Isaiah 6, in the throne room of God, where the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. It means God is really holy because they're emphasizing it. The word one in this context is repeated seven times. There is one God, there is one spirit, there's one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body. God's want, God wants us to be one. The next thing about unity in the church is that we're supposed to work as a unit. It goes on to say that Christ gave his church gifts. He gave people gifts to be used in the church for building up the church, to glorify Christ in the world, to be a light. Verse 11 says, so Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And I'll stop there because I think it's important as we search as a church for a new minister to remember that all those qualities aren't found in one person. They're found in different people. For example, I'm not an evangelist. Honestly, I can think of nothing that terrifies me more than standing in the streets of Pontypridd and handing out gospel tracts. That actually strikes fear into my soul. I'm not an evangelist. I couldn't do it. And I remember before, um, do you remember the Love Wales that came to the area and they were, they, you, they, you'd have a script and you'd go out and you'd say to people, you'd approach people and say, do you know that God has a good plan for your life? If I did, I, I'd have a heart attack. That would terrify me. I couldn't do that. Um, 
But I know there are evangelists in this church. Kay Griffiths, for example, comes here on the Sunday morning when we took the teenagers up to a conference in Sandrine Dodwell. She approached this random guy on the street and wanted to know why he didn't go to church, and she convinced him to go to church the next day. I couldn't do that. That terrifies me. That's not my gift in. Maze is a blinking brilliant evangelist as well. Like when he was here on... Yeah, you are. Um, that's your gift in, I think. Um, when you, <laughs> Christmas, when you were standing up here you know, with our carols by can- candlelight service, and he was evangelising, I was like, yeah, get it, get it. It was really good. I'm not an evangelist, but God has gifted me in other ways. Christ has given people different gifts and abilities, different roles in his service. Each one is valuable. Each one is precious. Each one is indispensable. And again, while we're looking for a new overseer, it should probably be noted that this person won't have all those things. And I wonder then if God has gifted people in our congregation tonight in this way. Have we got people here who are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? And if you're not doing anything with that gift, then you should. (laughs) So why do we need all these people? Why doesn't God just do it himself? Well, it says to be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It says, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. This gets a bit tough, I've written it and it's harsh. Essentially, as Christians... We should stop acting like children who have everything handed to us and grow up so we can start looking after and feeding other people. (laughs) Sorry. If we're not careful, um, we can approach church as someone going past a free food stand in a festival. I can relate everything back to food. It's a gift I have because um, I'm always hungry. (laughs) So I want you to imagine you're someone like me um, you've gone to a festival dedicated to food, a food festival, and you see a stand, and you know you know what they like. You you so I'll say it's cheese because I love cheese, um, and you see somebody there, and it's like free cheese, and you know you could, they've got the little cocktail sausages in the cheese, and then they've got the actual ones that they're selling. So the first thing, the first time you go up and you take one of those free pieces of cheese, and you like it, it's nice, and the vendor smiles at you because they're happy you've taken what they've received, and like they go off and they go on their way. So you go off. And um, five minutes later, you're like, oh, I fancy another bit of cheese now. So you go back to the free food stand, get another cocktail sausage with, not cocktail sausage, cocktail stick, um, with a bit of cheese on it. Eat that. Lovely. Great. Um, And then the vendor's sort of going, oh, okay, you've kind of got a bit of banter, but you're like, you're testing his patience. So in five minutes later, you go off and have a little look at some of the crafty bits that they've got going on at these food festivals. Bit of tat, but it's fine. Um, and then you think, oh, I fancy some more cheese. So you go back to the same free food, fe- free food stand. You take another, you grubby little hands, take another <laughs> cocktail stick with another bit of cheese, and you eat it. And you keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, until the vendor is frustrated, and he's had enough. And he's like, right, I've had an absolute enough of this. You were taking liberties here. And you're like, what? It's free food. It's free cheese. <laughs> Yes, it's free cheese, but if you take, take, take all the time and don't contribute in any way, then the vendor's going to get pretty frustrated. So the question is, why do we treat church in the same way? We just take, take, take and don't give anything back. 
God has given you a gift that he wants you to use to build up the church, and you need to be using it. It could be as simple as encouraging someone. It could be that your gift could, to the church could be to put the water on the side for when the preacher gets up. Your job could be ringing people and checking that they're doing all right. That could be your gift. Now, don't get me, now church is a place to receive. Don't get me wrong. And I know there are some who can't physically serve anymore, and I'm not talking about that. Um, I met with somebody recently who couldn't physically serve anymore, but she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and that's serving as well. Church, though, is a place where we give our lives to one another, because if we all become takers, then the church isn't going to work. Verse 16 says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. I read that again because it's important. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I think this is such an important verse. Because are you supportive? Are you a supporting ligament in the body of Christ? Or are you acting like a disease in the body? attacking and paralyzing the limbs of the body of Christ so they're either impeded or unable to move. It was a poem written about the church. They've changed the lyrics to Onward Christian Soldiers. Um, And they've changed it slightly because I think people recognize that there is a problem in the church with unity. It's not, it's a problem all over. And it goes like this. It says, backward Christian soldiers fleeing from the fight with the cross of Jesus nearly out of sight. Christ, our rightful master, stands against the foe. Onward into battle, we seem afraid to go. Backward Christian soldiers, fleeing from the fight, with the cross of Jesus nearly out of sight. Like a mighty tortoise moves the church of God, brothers, we are treading where we've often trod. We are much divided, many bodies we, having different doctrines, but not much charity. Crowns and thrones may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the cross of Jesus hidden does remain. Gates of hell should never against the church prevail. We have Christ's own promise, but we think it might fail. Sit here then, you people, join our sleeping throng, blend with ours your voices in a feeble song. Blessings, ease and comfort, ask from Christ the, the King, But with our modern thinking, we won't do a thing. As a church, we are a unit. We are a family. And a church united is an army. If it's not, it's going to be something like that. It's just going to be a lukewarm church. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't have any kind of impact. And I, I, no, I don't want our church to be like that. I don't want Christ's church to be like that. Verse 29, and I, I really feel that God is calling us to love each other more deeply. And I really believe that. And I believe that the step to unity in this church is to love each other in a very real way. And, you know, if you were here this morning, I know Trisha shared um, about how honoured she felt when she went to... to um, 
David's tender, she went um, to, a, to a festival, Christian festival, and I feel that we should honour each other here in this place. I think that's really important. So verse 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Now, this isn't saying that we don't challenge sin in the church. I think sometimes we can be so quick to say, don't judge or don't judge. You know, don't judge. The Bible says don't judge. But actually, the Bible doesn't say don't judge sin. The Bible says don't judge the person. So if you see sin in the church, then yeah, you can go to that person and have a quiet word and say, look, I love you. But what are you doing? Have you thought about it? This is wrong. And that's not what Paul is talking about here. I feel he's talking about using words the unwholesome words coming out of our mouth. I feel he's talking about using words that will intentionally hurt others. So using words that degrade, humiliate and belittle another person, whether that's through their face or behind their back. And I think if we're all honest here, I think we've all done that at one point in our lives. Because in the next part it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And when I read that, in my room this week, um, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I had sort of like an analogy that came to my mind that made me cry um, of what that looks like. Because I believe to grieve the Holy Spirit of God in the context of this passage is to hurt another believer in Christ intentionally and spitefully. Because we know that God is love we know he gave his life to save you and I, that he loves us. And to be honest, I don't think we will ever in this life scratch the surface of how much God loves us. Um, and when we became a believer in Christ, when we gave our hearts to Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us because he loves us so much and he loves others so much. So when you're gossiping, about that brother and sister or sister in Christ who the Holy Spirit loves, how do you think he must feel? Now, the picture I had of this was of a child in a music recital on the stage. Now, the child's mother is watching as her son takes to the stage and he's playing his instrument in his first concert. Now, they rehearse together for this at home. They've been practicing for weeks. She's cheering him on, he's doing so well. He hits a few bum notes, but he keeps going. And the boy's parent is bursting with pride. She's so proud of her son who's on the stage, who's giving it everything. But out the corner of her eye, she can see a group of people laughing at her child, laughing at the fact he's got it wrong, just making fun, just gossiping about him. And the parent is deeply grieved because that's her child they're laughing at. That's her child they're talking about. That's her child that she's been encouraging every night. That's her child whose confidence she's been helping to build. And the mother is deeply hurt by the nasty comments of the group of people. So why on earth do we think we can gossip about another believer in Christ without God having a strong reaction, without God being grieved? You are a child of God if you're in Christ. But I'll also mean to the person that you're talking about is a son and daughter of God too. Paul writes to get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. 
God challenged me on my bitterness this week in a massive way. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The church should look like a picture of Christ's love to the outside world, a place where everyone is so concerned about the welfare of another person that people can't help but notice. A place where if one part of our church, if one person in this church is hurting, then we all hurt. A place where we spur each other on to good works and cheer each other on. A place where we celebrate the achievements of each other and being so pleased when God blesses someone. A place where we talk about one another as if we were actually really family. A place where we have each other's backs, Gnostic knives in them church's family so when we look at the word unity finally we have why it ends with why why is it important to have unity because a church united is a force to be reckoned with a united church gets up every morning with vision with purpose and with kingdom focus a church that is united loves unswervingly A church united makes hell shudder because it's a powerful, mighty army that knows who it is, knows whose it is, and whose name to lift up. Otherwise, why do you think the enemy attacks the church in such a way? Because he's scared of it. He's scared of the church. So if you see divisions in the church, ask God to fill you with his love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, because you know that when you're gossiping, you know when you're crossing the line because you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And instead of saying sorry and going back to that same sin week in, week out, press into Christ, ask him to fill you with so much love for other people that you can't help but respond in the the way of love. Unity is so important. And I think as a church, we really need to be united. And I'm so glad we're having communion tonight because it is that, is celebrating that unity that Christ died for us to have. When we come around that table, we are united. He gave us his body. So we give our lives back to him and we give our lives to one another. And so my prayer for all of us tonight that is that actually... If we don't feel unified as a church, that maybe after communion that we stay and we pray for some for some time, um, I think we do need to stay and pray a little bit. I felt strongly that we need to stay and pray. Um, so after we've had communion, um, I know it's changing things around a little bit, but maybe instead of rushing off in there, we can have some t- have a time of prayer. Um, if you feel like if you need to go, that's fine. Um, but I think it's really important that we do business with God 